in a wheelchair, roll her down to the snack bar, and onto the elevator. She'd have been home before her mother knew she was missing. But this caver had been injured in Lechuguilla. The cave was on National Park Service lands near Kaka's headquarters. Lechuguilla was closed to the general public for the protection of both the cave and the visitors. Nearly 90 miles of the cave had been explored, but it would be many years before it was fully mapped. Lech was a monster, man-eating cave, dangerous to get into and harder to get out of. Two days into Lechaguilla, a member of the survey team had been hurt in an accident. Not surprisingly, there had been a contingent of experienced cavers at Carlsbad at the time, a small but dedicated group given to squeezing themselves into dark holes and living to write home about it. Before Anna and her teammates had descended on the park, the cavers had begun doing what they did best, getting one of their own back. Procedures in place from the last well-publicized rescue from Lechaguilla in 1991, the NPS had mobilized in record time. Within four hours of the report, Anna had been on a plane to El Paso. By the time she reached Carlsbad, more than two dozen others from the southwestern region had arrived. With the overhead team came the inevitable portajohns, food trucks, and power struggles. On duty less than three hours, Anna was happy to sit out the political squabbles in Oscar Iverson's snug little office. There, far from the madding crowd, she manned the phones in her official capacity as information officer, doling out approved statements to a press already panting for another media glut like that generated by the baby Jessica case in Texas. When she was 800 feet below the surface of the earth and two days' travel from the light of day, a grown woman in a limestone cave was almost as good as a baby in a well shaft. For the past half hour, reporters had been getting short shrift. Anna was reading. By chance, she picked, trapped, the story of caver Floyd Collins off Iverson's shelves. It detailed the gruesome death and media circus surrounding the entrapment of a caver in the 1920s. Collins had become wedged in a tight passage. His attempts to wriggle free had brought down loose dirt and rock, entombing him from neck to heels, his arms pinned at his sides. For thirteen days, friends had made the dangerous descent to feed him, while up above, concessionaires sold food and souvenirs to an ever-growing crowd of vultures gathered in curiosity, sympathy, and morbidity. On the fourteenth day, rains so softened the earth that the access tunnel collapsed, Collins was left to die alone. Scrawled in the margin of the book were the words, Fact, Wedge Victims Die. Transfixed by the same dread, a woman in a stranded VW might feel watching a logging truck bearing down on her, Anna was glued to the book. Iverson, Carlsbad's cave specialist, gusted into her sanctuary, and she dropped, trapped glad to be rescued from its bleak pages. He waved her back into his ergonomically correct office chair and folded himself haphazardly over the corner of the desk. Housed in an old stone building in the 1920s, the office was small, 
crowded by two desks, the walls lined with metal shelving and stuffed with books. Sprawled over the cluttered desktop, Oscar looked as homey and leggy as a spider in his web. Long limbs poked out the fabric of his trousers at knee and hip. His arms, seeming to bend in several places along their bony length, were stacked like sticks on his thighs. Come Halloween, it would take only a little white paint to pass him off as a respectable skeleton. A mummy of the sear and unwrapped variety would be even easier. The man looked made of leather, hide tanned by the desert, hair coarse and straw-colored from the sun. Anna guessed he was close to her age, maybe forty-five or six. "'Got some bizarre news,' he said, banging his heel softly against the metal of the desk. "'For whom the bell tolls,' Anna's mind translated the hollow ringing. "'Now that the relatives have been notified, we can release the name of the injured woman, Frida Dirks. "'And she's asking for one Anna Pigeon.' Shit, Anna thought. It tolls for me. Frida? she echoed stupidly. Iverson shot her a startled look. Don't you know her? From the intensity of the summons, I got the idea you two were best buds. Buds. Anna's mind was paralyzed, not so much by shock as by incongruity. Hearing Frida's name in reference to the victim of the rescue was akin to running into one's old grammar school teacher in an opium den. She's the dispatcher at Mesa Verde, Anna managed. We're friends. They were friends, fairly close friends, and Anna wondered why she'd sounded so half-hearted. Dirks was on the survey team, Oscar said patiently, his washed-out hazel eyes trying to read Anna's face. It wasn't an earth-shattering revelation. Most cavers led other lives. They were geologists and physicists, beekeepers and bums, regular folks who had been bitten by an irregular bug that compelled them to creep beneath the skin of the world every chance they got. Anna had seen the photos of a helmeted and mud-bedaubed Frida grinning out from nasty little crevices Anna wouldn't go into for love or money and she'd listened with half an ear about her upcoming vacation. She'd just not put two and two together. What does she want me for? Without much caring, Anna noted the disapproval sharpening Iverson's gaze. She could guess where it came from. Cavers helped cavers. It was an unwritten law of survival. Who else was going to fish them out of the god-awful places they insisted on pushing their way into? Iverson stared, and Anna stared back, refusing to apologize or explain. A moment passed, and his look softened. Perhaps he reminded himself she was not a caver, but a mere mortal. The injury is worse than first thought. He spoke slowly, as if Anna had a learning disability. His voice was low, gentling. She would have been irritated at the condescension had she not known Iverson always talked that way. The caver who hiked out said a broken leg. Painful, but not life-threatening. Apparently, the rock that smashed her kneecap struck a glancing blow to her left temple as it fell. She was knocked unconscious, but only briefly. 
who just got a second report. It was brought out by a member of another team surveying in the great beyond. He met up with one of Dirks's team in Windy City and brought out a message. She's been slipping in and out of consciousness and has suffered some disorientation. Head injury, Anna said. Bad news. Bad news, Iverson agreed. Peter McCarty, a member of Dirks's team, is an M.D. in real life. That's the good news. She's got a doctor with her. McCarty recommended we get Ms. Dirks what she wants. She's agitated, and it is not helping her medical condition any. He feels it would soothe her if she could have a friend there. A lady-in-waiting, exactly. A chilling image filled Anna's mind. Herself... Crouched and whimpering, fear pouring like poison through her limbs, shutting down her brain as the cave closed in around her. Adrenaline spurted into her bloodstream, and she could feel the numbness in her fingertips and a tingling as of ice water drizzling on her scalp. To hide her thoughts, she rubbed her face. "'Will you go?' Iverson asked. Anna scrubbed the crawling sensation from her hair with her knuckles, just deciding what to wear. Oscar looked at her shrewdly, the long, narrow eyes turning the color of bleached lichen. Let me rephrase that. Can you? I don't know, Anna answered truthfully. Can I? Caving? None. Climbing? Some. Repels 60 to 150 feet. Ascents ditto, naturally. Rope climbs with ascenders. I can do that. 